Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hello and welcome to Gegenpressing, the German football podcast from the Football Grad Network. I'm Chris Williams and I'd like to welcome you to our fifth season of Bundesliga, Pokal and national team German football coverage. If this is your first time listening, hello, it's nice to have you on board. And if you're one of our many loyal listeners, thank you once again for joining us to rip apart the very best of each match day. This season, you'll notice a few minor tweaks with more guests, more interviews and more opinion than ever before. Later on in this episode, Manuel Vaith is joined by friend of the show and Bundesliga journalist Stefan Biankowski as they take an in-depth look at the big stories from match day one. But first, let's start the 2021-22 campaign off with an interview. Bundesliga International Chief Executive Officer Robert Klein joined Manuel midweek to share his thoughts on the league, the players and clubs within and how the pandemic has affected the DFL at the very top. Mr. Klein, Robert, thank you for joining us. Um, how are you doing? Doing pretty well, thank you much. I had a good break for the first time in a, in a few years and uh, the season's about to start, so we're excited about that. Um, so I'm pretty good. How are you guys doing? Uh, doing excellent. Thank you so much for joining us. And ahead of the new season, what are you the most excited about? Well, look, everyone knows what, uh, what we've been through, what we continue to go through, and I'm talking on a global basis here. Um, I do a lot of international business. So the first thing that I, I really hope for is uh, the continued, hopefully, positive direction um, out of this pandemic. Um, it's not over yet, but uh, hopefully that we are with vaccinations getting onto the right level. The Bundesliga is um, many things. Um, one of our taglines is football as it's meant to be. And uh, one of the big factors for us is our fans. You know, without fans, it's just a sport. With fans, it's a it, it's a whole experience. Um, so I hope that we're going to be able to get fans back into the stadium soon. They are looking at how that can be with all the clubs making their decisions with the local authorities. Health will always be first. That's important. Um, but that's one of the things that I would like to see is stadiums back with the fans. It's definitely been wonderful seeing the fans back on, on this match day and in, in the first round of the DFB Pokal. Even if it was at reduced capacity, you already alluded to it. The Bundesliga brand is so strongly identified as, you know, through the fans, through the fan experience. So how important is it for the Bundesliga brand to have fans back? Very important. But I think it's for any sport. You know, I, I was watching also um, the European Championships um, uh, avidly. Um, and I was, uh, you know, there was games there where there was a, quite a lot of fans, depending on the, uh, the, the country that you were in. And it just changes the experience. I think we've done great work with uh, technology and innovation to try and make it a broadcasting experience without fans, but it is not the same. Everyone will tell you that. So it's it's really important for us. It's important for the clubs. Um, it's important from a, a financial standpoint for them. It's important for the uh, viewing experience uh, across the board. So that's what we look for. And then, of course, you know, if we look ahead at the league, you've got Bayern, you've got a new trainer in Nagelsmann, who's just turned 34, um, really very young. We've got Leipzig, who've brought in uh, Jesse Marsh. You've got Dortmund, who are continually chasing year in, year out. So we're looking for a really tight race um, at the top end. Uh, Leverkusen will be thereabouts. Wolfsburg will be thereabouts. Eintracht Frankfurt have got also some changes. There's a lot of changes, so a lot of opportunity, I think, for exciting stuff. So that's what I also want, as I said, uh, domestically a great show. And uh, I work also, as I said, heavily on the international with our partners in um, in Canada, Sportsnet Rogers and uh, ESPN Plus in, uh, in the US. So we want to give them great entertainment. Yeah, I have some questions about the title race, and I, I want to get to that in a moment. But before we get there, the elephant in the room, uh, Delta. How confident are you that with Delta on, on the foremarsh that we can actually keep stadiums open? Is, is there a sort of plan in place for the Bundesliga at the moment? That's the one thing I was saying. You know, If we've learned one thing is that with this pandemic, you can't be certain of anything. Who would have thought a year on 
we we uh, were the first league to get back uh, on the 16th of May. I remember it exactly in 2020, and then a year later, uh, we were arguably back to square one. So Delta uh, is a problem not just for the league, but for for all sports and for all businesses and for international. So I, I can't uh, say. All I can say is that decisions are made with the clubs and the local health authorities in their Bundesland, and they take it. They're currently deciding exactly how they're going to do it. So. Uh, I wouldn't want to turn around. I hope it's going to be great, right? I hope that we'll slowly get from half full to full and that there's no backward step. But we have to take it one day at a time. And, there's, you know, there's no point in, you know, predicting anything else. Mm, I remember speaking to Christian Seifert at the time when the Bundesliga came back and he stressed how important it was to get get the ball rolling again, even without fans. How big has been the COVID impact on the health of the league? If you read the... Um, the articles, the specialist press, you, you know that it's been, uh, it's been significant, really significant. A lot of the, uh, I mean, for the clubs, their uh, match day earnings are a big contributor to their overall. In terms of uh, international business, where uh, I'm very active as well, the pandemic has exacerbated situations uh, which were economically challenging already in Latin America, in Asia. China has seen a, um, a big shrinking in the sports business uh, generally. And therefore, that also has an impact back you know, into the league and onto the clubs. So it's been, the only word is significant. We are now turning that curve and going back into sort of growth mode. And I say that cautiously because it's not going to happen overnight. Um, sports and top level sports remains a key driver to viewing and to entertainment. And therefore, uh, one can be hopeful uh, with the Bundesliga and other top leagues that uh, the rebound will come, I hope, sooner rather than later. But we have to step cautiously. There's no point in saying it's all done and now the worst is done. There's going to still be um, some tough months and possibly a year ahead. You're speaking about growth, which makes me slightly optimistic, optimistic there, Robert. What worries me as, as an observer and as a journalist is when I see a club like PSG spend um, essentially playmobil money on on a player like Lionel Messi in the Bundesliga is very much more conservative when it comes when it comes to bringing in star power and um, has a much more conservative and financial responsible um, approach than many other clubs around the world uh, how do you see that growth and is there anything the league can do to essentially counter what big clubs in other leagues are doing in in order to facilitate even more growth maybe by bringing in some star power Look, the, uh, we have to work uh, within the confines of the, uh, the Bundesliga and um, the rules and regulations that we have, which is a, through a, a very clear licensing system to be a Bundesliga club of certain uh, respect. And I think it is, as you say, universally recognized to be well balanced and also driven in a way so that you can um, have um, manageable business, right, long term. So we, we work within those confines. There are financial fair play regulations, you know, across the board. Uh, are they working as well as they should? We, you know, you can question that, but at the Bundesliga and in the DFL, we will continue with um, with that licensing. And then, in terms of the um, the growth, both nationally, I mean, nationally, the, the Bundesliga is absolutely huge. You know, the 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 <laughs> penetration and the uh, the, the attentiveness um, through the countries is unbelievable. And internationally, we are looking to grow, and that's one of the reasons I came into this role to 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 run the Bundesliga international. There is the product, which will always play a role, the live product. But there's also all the work that you do with clubs who are traveling to engage uh, with their fan base uh, with their, uh, and also take players out there. We've also set up very strong um, offices locally to be able to then deliver global marketing. And the good news that we have at the moment is that we've seen uh, you know, over the last year or so that at least in the research that we have in key territories, that we are one of the fastest growing leagues in terms of what we call interest and being the first choice. That's what we want to be, you know, in terms of the of the fan base. At the moment, the work is good in progress. It, it's been tough, as you know, in the last 24 months because you don't travel. So to execute any marketing activities on the ground, it's just not possible. It's been practically impossible. But we've done a lot in terms of being creative in virtual meetings, uh, virtual activities. And uh, I look forward to us being able to then, you know, really execute properly as we'd want to, hopefully, as I said, through this season. How important do you think is a title race to, to even further grow the brand of the Bundesliga abroad? A title race is um, absolutely important. And that's why in the last years, it's been good that people have got closer to Bayern. And of course, the, the question is, oh, well, you know, Bayern winning it, does that, you know, isn't that just easy? 
Bayern do an unbelievable job and they've got a chance to go for a 10th, which would be crazy. If they win 10 and the title race is close, like it has been last year, a bit less the year before, very much more where we got to, uh, you know, within, you want to get to the last match days and so that it, there's still competition and excitement. And uh, I think this year that we're probably set up for that. Let's let's see how it develops. But it is an important factor for the growth of the league and the interest of the league, uh, as is the performance of our clubs uh, within Europe. Is there any kind of incentive from the league to ensure that Bundesliga teams take I mean, it's now three European competitions, um, UEFA added, adding the Conference League as well. Is there any sort of incentive to say to, to clubs, look, it's actually very important for our brand internationally to do well um, in UEFA competition? Yes, I mean, there's a, a mechanism which, which, you know, performance is important in, in, in uh, the international competitions. But in the end, it's the clubs that have to do that, right? So, you know, that's, um, they have their performance criteria and the, and the league certainly cannot tell them you must deliver that. That's not the way it is in sport, right? You have to do the best. But what we know from international business is the performance of our clubs in the international competitions, and that is primarily, of course, UEFA European competitions, is a driver for growth. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that. And one big driver for growth, and especially over here in North America, has been all the North Americans, whether it's Alfonso Davies, uh, Tyler Adams, um, and now Jesse Marsh, um, how excited are you to have someone like Jesse Marsh? And I, I don't want to down too much on Pellegrino Matarazzo, who has done a fantastic job at Stuttgart, but hasn't been quite as recognized of a name in, in the United States. But how excited are you that in Jesse Marsh, you have a head coach who is not only at a big club now, but potentially could be challenging for the title? It's great. And um, he is an outstanding coach. Funnily enough, I also um, spent some time in Salzburg, so I've also watched a lot of his development uh, and his his, his um, training and football with uh, with the uh, Red Bull Salzburg. And he really produces exhilarating football. He's a good communicator for the US and for our fan base. That's great, right, to have a, a US coach at a, in such a, a prominent position. And as you said, it also alongside the players. And so with you know ESPN... At ESPN Plus this year, we'll be do a lot. We do a lot of that. We focus, of course, on the Bundesliga, the league in terms of the uh, performance, but then telling the stories of these players because we have an unbelievable amount of US players over the last years that have come through and who continue to come through. Right? There's also this uh, uh, the 18-year-old Joe Scali at Borussia Mönchengladbach. Will he be able to break into the first team? He looks like a really good proposition. Gio Reyna does some unbelievable stuff on the football pitch. I think he's going to have a real good year. Um, and then, of course, uh, as you said, Alfonso Davis, um, who's just one of the fastest footballers around and plays great stuff. So we're excited about the Bundesliga. And if you didn't look specifically to North America, there's going to be a lot of great stories. And I think a lot of great goals as well coming out for the fans to to, to watch and to grab onto. And we will push them hard because, you know, we really believe the Bundesliga is, is one of the best leagues for North America. Now, how can you take those players who... Yes, of course, everyone has to perform on the field. That's that's the bottom line, right? But it does certainly a passport can certainly help in terms of brand awareness. Um, I think that that's very much a fact. How how do you take those assets? How do you take an Alfonso Davis and a Gio Reyna and use that for the league to to really get more exposure? The first thing is to work very closely with the clubs, and and we're lucky that we have um, there there are shareholders first of all, and then we spend a lot of time working with the clubs and the clubs working with us. Um, as you said, the first thing is performance. So that's the first criteria. If And then afterwards, of course, there are a lot of demands on professional players. So you've got to really be, uh, be careful. But um, our position to the clubs is you have got, in Alfonso Davis, if we take that example, an international superstar and a North American and Canadian superstar. Um, and we believe there's opportunities at the right time Uh, whether it's around the big games uh, or in between the games to create content. Because what we want the fans to see is what's that lifestyle, right? What's the ups and downs? We want to, to give um, the full story. And for that, you need access and you can't have it all the time. But we work to do um, the best we can. And we've produced some really excellent pieces over already just the last 12 months, uh, which we'd be happy to share to you. Um, and, and that's what we do. We want to get good content out there and not for the sake of it, but for the sake of telling Alfonso's Davis story in a deeper, more meaningful manner. And, you know, the North American and Canadian fans in particular are very, really interested in that. Everyone, I think globally, everyone's interested in Alfonso Davis because he's an outstanding player. But then, you know, it's the same thing we have in Japan with Hasebe from Antri Frankfurt, Lewandowski in Poland. 
try and give the Bundesliga. And then on top of that, a customized, localized feel. So you feel like you're getting what you want. And if you, for example, are a Dortmund fan, and for whatever reason, you're actually interested in a Royce, we do the same thing, right? So the future, let's talk about the future. The future of sports broadcasting and consumption is going to be localized, customized content. There's no doubt about it. And now we're at a stage where we can get more and more to that because we have the able, the ability to deliver uh, quicker and faster, whether it's through IP, internet, or um, over satellite, and um, the capacity to also find out from fans what they want to and then deliver to them very quickly. And that's that's the direction we're going. And, um, uh, you know, we, one thing I can share with you is there's going to be, this is now in Japan, um, our broadcaster Sky Perfect uh, TV is going to, for the first time, integrate into an app, an interactive feed. And that is basically a feed where before the games, 3.30, uh, that's German time, uh, so where we have the majority of our matches on a Saturday, before you go in, you'll be able to select what matches you want. If there are highlights from another goal, uh, you should be notified and they will be sent through to you. And it basically, it's a lean back mode where you can prepare your Saturday afternoon before doing it. And that's that's how the future will be. I think that's that's very exciting to do have that individual talent um, on, on display in, in that way. And I, I kind of want to move from that to the big clubs that we have in German football. When, when, you, when you look at Bayern Munich, Bayern Munich seems to be over everything. But in terms of some of the other big teams that are now you know, in the second Bundesliga, are you at all worried about having someone like Hamburg or Schalke in the second Bundesliga? Is that something that you miss? Or is that maybe an opportunity to get the second Bundesliga into more households across the world? As you say, they are giants and they are this season in the second Bundesliga. It's what makes football, right? Promotion and relegation. This is why we you know, hang on to it. It will it definitely. I've already had requests, more requests for the Bundesliga two than uh, you would have in a normal year. They will fight very hard, you know, to get back up. I think it will be uh, very interesting. I would love, you know, Schalke, Hamburg. You feel should be in the Bundesliga, but you've got to perform to get there. So it's going to make for a hell of a season in the Bundesliga two because it's a, it's a tough league, uh, also with a great fan base, which hopefully will be able to come out. Um, and I'm quite excited to see how that's going to turn out. Then my, one of my final questions is, why should you still tune in on the Bundesliga and um, maybe look beyond the whole Bayern factor and really enjoy the league? Because both of us know it's a fantastic product, but what is it that really defines this league and why should a neutral um, start watching it? You know, that's a really good question and I love answering it because there's so much potential and this is what we're working to get those, those stories out there. A great story is of uh, how the, um, the pressing game which was basically developed in Germany, is, is not um, known all that well. And there were a few coaches that were behind it, but one of them who's not known so well is a guy called Wolfgang Frank, um, who Klopp worked um, under at Mainz. Uh, and then Ralf Rangnick, who's known much better, you know, also went and developed that. And the reason why I say this is because it developed a style of football that we still see today, and which, by the way, has then been being taken around the world, right? which is the high-level pressing game where you pressure. And what happens with that is, is that you're getting high intensity for the majority of the game and it allows uh, for mistakes to be made. It allows for open situations to come and is uh, one of the reasons why also the Bundesliga is, has, for the last 20 years, it's the league with the most goals scored every season. So you're going to see goals. You're going to see in um, normal times, non-pandemic, you're going to see unbelievable stadiums full, the fullest of any league globally. And not just that, but the fans who are just so involved with their community and their clubs uh, create unbelievable choreography. So you really have an experience. And that's why we, we try very hard. Once we've got a partner, whether it's, uh, as I said, ESPN uh, in the US or Sportsnet, we, we get journalists and try and get fans over so they can experience it, right? Because it is a unique match day experience. So there's the fans, there's the match day experience. Uh, there is the actual goal scored and there's the style of football. I am a football business uh, executive. I am a football uh, fan uh, and I watch a lot of it. And the football that you get, uh, whether it's Leverkusen, Wolfsburg, Hertha Berlin, uh, Union Berlin, there's a similar high level intensity. Of course, coaches are different and tactics are different, uh, but it means that when you're watching a, a Bundesliga game, you're usually getting great entertainment. So I hope that if anyone is a neutral, that will at least pique their interest. So they go, yeah, I'm going to go check out that league. And then if there's a little hook, then hopefully they get onto a team and then we find out what they want to watch. And then we can also deliver them an unbelievable TV and media product so that they get 
the information they need, the goals they need and the stats they need on their favorite players or clubs. I can certainly attest to that, Robert. I think it's a fantastic product and I think the Bundesliga is much more than Bayern Munich. So if you are tuning in, I, I think you should very much pay attention to the league and maybe don't just follow one of the big clubs. But Robert, that's about it from me. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Well, thank you for the invite. Uh, you know, we're always really happy to talk about our league and uh, and had to have your interest. And also, you are uh, you know a, a fan. So, I hope um, it'll be a great season. When I'm over one time in Canada, hopefully we'll get to meet up. One hundred percent. Thank you so much. That was fantastic stuff from Robert Klein. Um, very honored to be joined by by one of the Bundesliga officials for this podcast. I mean, we've been doing this for a few years now and five seasons. Wow, um, time flies. Well, I'm joined now by Stefan Bianchowski who break down the first match day of the season. Stefan, how's it going? Yeah, it's going very well. Thoroughly enjoying the return of the Bundesliga. I thought I would maybe have a little a bit of a malaise from so much football over the summer, but... As soon as that game started at Borussia Park, I was like, okay, this is proper football. And I'm I'm absolutely ready for it. How are you? You good what football in the summer are you talking about? Oh sorry, yeah, there was there was never any football. There was there definitely wasn't a competition that England almost won, so there's there's not much to talk about. I mean, I don't know from a German point of view, I don't know if even England or Italy is like a it's like a nightmare for German football fans. So let's let's just not talk about it. Let's not talk about it. June and July never happened. Um we can all agree on that. Um but yes, um, I think this is the match day, a start to the match day or a start to the season that we were all hoping for that Robert Klein kind of pointed out in an interview that we're hoping for a title race. And I think a lot of people tuning in for the first time ever to watch the Bundesliga, and that's usually what happens, right? At the start of the season, people wonder, oh, what's this league all about? Um, what's going on there? And Last year was very unfortunate because, first of all, there were no fans. And the Bundesliga is like no other league, I think. It's very much dependent on the fan atmosphere. So there was no fans. And then also Bayern smashed Schalke 30-0, um, which was unfortunate. <laughs> um, so not a great start to last year. So I think a lot of people covering the league, working in the league, were a little bit apprehensive about the start this year. And Stefan, I think... That Friday game to kick off the Bundesliga, that was probably the best advertisement we could hope for, right? Yeah, it was a tremendous match. Uh, you know, it was great having fans back in the stadium. Uh, it was even just quite emotive watching the camera cut to fans in the stadium. You had Gladbach and Bayern fans sitting together, enjoying the game. Um, and you could tell the players were quite enthused by it. And then the football on the pitch was outstanding as well. It was it was an absolutely crazy match. Like the first 15, 20 minutes were just absolutely nuts. Um nothing less than you would probably expect from a Gladbach Bayern game. Um and you know as we know Gladbach took a lead and they could have scored more. Bayern could have scored plenty. Uh, it was a match full of chances and mistakes and drama. Um, I had a great time watching it. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, and I really do hope if anyone was only just going to take it in the Bundesliga and wondering whether it's a one-horse race, uh, I hope this game really underlined the fact that the season is up for grabs for a number of clubs. Uh, and, Glad and Gladbach gave a really good showing of themselves. Yeah, I thought they were excellent too. I mean, of course, Bayern had the, the majority of possession. Um, once Gladbach did take the lead, they, they really quickly tried to put on the pressure, right? And in very typical Bayern Munich fashion. And there was maybe, it was almost a game of three parts, wasn't it? It was the the, the first part where, where Gladbach did take the lead. And uh, really, it looked like they were maybe going to score a second. And then there was a 30-minute junk where Bayern were absolutely dominant and it looked like they were going to storm back and eventually, you know, after they did draw, uh, then take the lead. But then really in the last 20, 20, 30 minutes again, it seemed like it was actually Gladbach who were closer to to win this game. And 
we have to talk about those two penalties, Stefan. Um, I, I chatted a lot with Chris, um, our Bundesliga referee expert, um, who's going to listen to this and roll his eyes because he's editing this, right? And um, I think maybe those penalties, what do you think? Yes or no? Oh, it's quite confusing. I think Chris actually went back and forth on both of them a few times when he looked at them and then watched the replays and things. I thought the first one looked like a penalty. Um, and I actually thought the second one did as well. I mean, I don't think they were really obvious, glaring mistakes from the referee. And obviously the second one went to the the replay lounge or whatever you want to call it, HQ at Cologne. And they obviously decided that it wasn't a penalty, which I was really surprised at. But the first one, Upa Meccano, I think it was, was clearly pulling on, uh, I think it was Turam's jersey. I thought that was obvious. Um, but, you know, if I was a Gladbach fan, I think I said this in the group chat at the time, if I was a Gladbach fan, I'd be more furious at Turam missing an open goal, basically, or missing a one-on-one. And Gladbach did that so many times late on in this game. As you said, it was a game of three halves. Uh, Gladbach, great start. Bayern then took control and started squeezing the match and Lewandowski got his goal, probably could have scored three or four himself. And then in the second half, uh, I thought Huta did a great job when he brought in brought in Turam, he brought in Hoffman, just when you know legs were starting to get tired. And I thought Turam had a fantastic match against Upa Meccano, completely turned him about three or four times, physically in the air, he was pushing him around the pitch. Uh and I thought it just looked like it was a perfect substitution and it really should have paid off because he should have scored in open play and should have had at least one penalty as well, I'd say. But maybe a draw works out fairly in the end because I thought, you know, Jan Sommer had a great game as well um, and Bayern could have easily scored three or four goals themselves. I've not actually seen the XG for the match, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if both teams should have scored a lot more goals. Yeah, I know. I, I would agree with you. I think... There was there's a lot there to discuss. Well, first of all, I think there was a it was a bit of a blueprint of how you do play against Dayot Umbermecano. Because I think Turam did, did a terrific job showing exactly what Umbermecano's weaknesses are. And there's a lot of people, a lot of it was made of how Leipzig was weakened by Umbermecano gone. And I mean, maybe they were. Um, we, we're going to talk about them in a few moments. But I think that Umbermecano who has come in to replace literally two defenders in Alaba and Boateng, isn't he? And I'm not sure his opening pass isn't quite as good as Boateng's. His his vision isn't quite as good as Alaba's. His experience is definitely lower than both. And he does seem to struggle, although he's very physical himself, he does seem to struggle when a physical player is playing against him and really putting putting him to the sword, like Turam did. And... um. I think that is that a lot of teams will have looked at that and said, like, hmm, we can turn either one of those defenders, whether it's Sulu or, or Upamecano, and we can make Bayern hurt. And I think there's there's a lot to be said like about that. Uh, I thought it was interesting how Gladbach reacted to those penalty calls, uh, essentially saying, Lashdenl saying, well, over the course of the season, this will balance out, right? You get some calls, you don't. Hütter saying to Nagelsmann in the press conference after the game, well, I think it should have been penalties. What do you think? Nagelsmann saying, well, he needs to look at the replay. And I think that was the, maybe the one bit where Klappbach were upset because the referee team didn't go to and look at the, at the replay themselves on the field, right? And where there should have been, you know, where Cologne should have interfered and said, like, look at it again. But, you know, it is what it is. Um, maybe final one on this one. Stefan, what's your thoughts on Bayern's squad overall? I, I personally think they they look very thin, and they now it appears they might not sign another right back because Stanisic had a very good game. But is it enough to make that decision on just one game based alone? Yeah, I think I think this Bayern team looked far too, um, you know, sh- sh- I guess the lack of depth, best word to use to describe it. Um, I kind of made this point when I was going to preview in the the, the season in my newsletter, and you look, you just kind of put together kind of a kind of graphic of this squad depth in each position and you have huge problems at right back um, I mean they probably struggled to find a Bayern Munich fan who thinks Pavard's an outstanding player for them but he was a crucial player in the grand scheme of things because he was their only kind of proven experienced right back in the squad he gets injured and rather than playing Bruno Saar Nagelsmann goes straight to Stanisic which I think just goes to prove what he probably thinks of uh, uh, Saar um, you know, 
across that back line. Davies had a good game, of course. Um, but you look at that kind of the central back positions, and you know you've just made some great points about Fabricano, but there's also Nicolas Sula as well, who still coming back from a very nasty injury. He looked a bit lost in that game as well. Um, and all of a sudden, there's a huge amount of expectation and reliance on you know Hernandez to just kind of step into his team and be the responsible central defender and the guy that Hernandez that Nagelsmann can build his defense around. Maybe he can be that, but he certainly wasn't that player for Hansi Flick last season. Hansi Flick certainly didn't think he could be that player because he very rarely used him in that role whenever he could avoid it. Um, I think another real big issue for Bayern as well is the the wide positions and in central midfield. Uh, I thought Nabry looked tired. Uh, I thought Sani looked okay. I, I'm actually kind of expecting maybe a pretty decent season from Sani this season. Certainly better than last year, but I thought Kimmich and Goreska both looked really tired and the big problem is that Bayern simply just have nobody who can step into that role. They brought in Musiala to replace Nabry. They brought Kingsley Coman on to try and replace Sani. Um and it 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 didn't really shake things up a lot. And I think that's the real concern for Bayern. You know, they can maybe put out a strong start in eleven from any given match day, but Nagelsmann doesn't really have enough there to experiment with tactics, with formations. And if things aren't going Bayern's way they don't really have enough depth on the bench to kind of change things. And I think that's where they're probably going to come unstuck this season. This might be a little unfair, but they actually remind me a little of Barcelona last season where that team was kind of threadbare and more often than not, they just kind of hoped that Lionel Messi would win the game for them. Bayern Munich are a bit like that with Lewandowski, maybe Müller to a lesser extent this year, uh, because you look through that squad and there are star players there, but if they're having an off game, there aren't really isn't a huge amount of strength or depth or talent on the bench that can come off the bench and win a game for them. Yeah, maybe final one because you asked. Um, the XG was one point seven seven to three point one nine. Yeah, that covers all the, the Bayern Munich stuff. I'm curious to see how they're going to do in the DFL Super Cup on Tuesday. So let's move on to the Saturday games. And here's Holland. <laughs> Strength, power, <laughs> precision, pass, 1-0! Marco Reus, there goes the beer, wunderbar! Stefan, there was a lot of action on Saturday. It really was. I mean, when you look at the results, um, it's exactly how we wanted the leagues to start, isn't it? And uh, there was a few things that stood out to me. Uh, first of all, Stuttgart 5-1 against Fürth. Yes, newly promoted side, but... I thought Stuttgart were were brilliant, and um, you know, knowing how how they did last year, uh, I th I thought they would do well again this year. But that's a fantastic start. Uh, another one was that the start for me is Hoffenheim. You said before before we went on, and you didn't expect Hoffenheim to do this well, and yeah, they four nil against Augsburg, an Augsburg side that has done some really good business in the window, and is probably not quite done yet either. So. Two results that stand out. Another one for me was Leverkusen 1-1 against Union Berlin. I have a lot to say about Leverkusen. And um, I was very fortunate to, to go on an AWS workshop with Simon Rolfes. And um, we talked a lot about the recruitment last year. So maybe I want to just quickly talk about this. But we talked about a lot about the recruitment last year. And we both always suspected this, and he confirmed it to me. It's all about speed for them. The speed is a very important criterion for them to identify players. And they actually use AWS match stats to, to define players that way, right? And I find it interesting that they, they, they identify players that way, but that they also sold two of those players. And as you said, they're probably looking for players like that because they want to sell them to the Premier League, which is exactly what they have done in Leon Bailey and... Demirai Gray, right? So is this just, and we have a lot to talk about, so let's move through this quickly, but is this what I, what you think exactly where Leverkusen, you know, maybe they just have to be a bit more multifaceted in their recruitment? Yeah, it's a really interesting topic actually because you do sometimes watch Leverkusen and you do think there's a lot of pace in that team, but there doesn't seem to be a huge amount of kind of inspiration. And I think that's kind of why you know, they were really missing someone like Florian Verts, for example, in that game. Uh, it was a bat as an end team end end match with two outstanding goals in it, uh, but it it didn't seem like there was a huge amount of control from Leverkusen throughout the match. Uh, you know, they were obviously missing Verts, missing Top Soba as well, who's a huge player for them. Bellarabi, 
Alario, uh, his big striker, who's just signed a new contract. He usually plays over Sheik, if I'm not mistaken, if I'm from last season, my memory from last season, uh, is doing well. So, you know, they were missing like two or three big players in that game. And I actually think, despite predicting that Union would probably finish in the bottom half of the league, I actually think they look quite solid this year uh, as well. So we might look back on this in a couple of months and say, you know, that's actually a pretty decent result for Leverkusen. So I'm not entirely worried about them just yet. Uh, and I've actually kind of predicted they'll do quite well this season because on paper, their squad's quite strong. But, you know, as you say, there's a big difference between buying players who look good on paper or on YouTube highlights reels or through their stats, I guess, about words, and actually building a squad. And that's kind of been an issue for Leverkusen for some time now. Some t- it almost seems as though the recruitment the, the recruitment department's a little too good and their actual head coaching isn't good enough because it seems often more often than not at Leverkusen, the head coach struggles to get the best out of the players that they sign. Uh, so I think that's just going to be another season of that for Leverkusen, where they can get the best of the players they have. They should really be pushing for a top four position, no doubt about it. Um, but... I guess we'll just have to wait and see whether this 1-1 result against Union is good enough. Yeah, I think we can say I'm really excited about the new defender that they signed, Odilon Kusuno. And um, Piero Hincapie, or Hinsapie, um, the Ecuadorian defender who did very well at the Copa America for Ecuador, uh, that deal is more or less done. That will probably be announced by the time this podcast comes out. So a bit of a background news on that. But let's move on to Dortmund. Stefan, the new title favorite? Is that too early? Can we say that? I mean, wow, they were impressive. They were very, very impressive. That was probably one of the best Dortmund games I've seen in a long, long time. You know, I'm going to actually big myself up here because I think on one of the last podcasts of last season, we were kind of doing a roundup, I think, or maybe looking towards this season. And I said... Do you know what? I think Dortmund might have a better squad than Bayern next season. And I think RB Leipzig might do too. Maybe not first to 11, but overall they look in better shape. And I think Dortmund deserve credit for how they've done in the transfer window this season. Sure, they probably need another right back and a left back. But keeping hold of Erling Haaland, uh, bringing in Malin. And I've been so impressed with the way that Marco Rosa has kind of built this squad to get the best out of Haaland and it also negates the need to replace Jadon Sancho. There's no wingers in his system. It's more of a kind of 4-4-2 diamond with, you know, a Marco Royce or Malin possibly uh, playing off Haaland and it just works. It, it just seems to work so well. I mean, this is a, this is a game in which Axel Witzel had to play at centre-back and for the most part, you didn't even really seem to notice. Uh, aside from an outstanding on goal from Paslak, uh, I actually thought, for the most part, um, Frankfurt weren't very good. Um, and, you know, I, I, I just think Dortmund completely blew them away. And, yeah, there's problems with this Dortmund defence, but if they can score five goals every weekend, and it looks like they can, uh, then I think they are. They look, they obviously were one game in, but they looked in far better shape than Bayern. Bayern looked tired, and they look out of ideas, and this Dortmund team are just brimming with attacking intent. They were... They were they were an absolute joy to watch and very exciting. Yeah, I thought they were very direct. The, the XG in that game was 2.71 to 1.64. I guess Haaland goals don't count towards XG because I don't know how they calculated this. Um, it's, I mean, I, I thought that all the chances that Dortmund created were sure fire goals. I, I don't understand. Like, you know, maybe someone else has to explain that to me again. But yeah, I thought they were really good. Um, I thought that they were very direct a lot of talk about Haaland and how good he was and you know the the new speed record that he set at 35.95 kilometers an hour it's like you know like you know that that I bike a lot Stefan and that's that's a good speed on the bike let alone on a football pitch so that's fast that's very fast um a lot of talk about that but Marco Royce is someone I want to point out in this show because whether it was with Lewandowski, whether it was with Aubameyang and now with Haaland, he gets the best out of these players, doesn't he? And um, Sancho is gone now. So that relationship, we, we can put that to bed. Uh, you know, Sancho, best of luck in Manchester. Um, but Royce looked in fantastic shape in this game. Him deciding to skip 
the Euro is probably the best decision he's made at some time. And I think that when you when you look at at his form in particular, he was absolutely brilliant. And you also get the sense that him and Haaland just really work well together. They almost have this blind trust knowing where the other player is going to be because the first four goals, they pretty much created in unison, didn't they? And I think that's really what people people forget. It, it, it's not just Haaland. This team isn't just Haaland. And I thought to myself when it was 4-1, um, they brought in they brought in Daniel Marlin. Sorry, it was five one. They brought in Daniel Marlin, and then they brought in Mokuku, and they brought on Knauf. And I'd say, how much more firepower you want to put to this poor Frankfurt side? And it's still so early in the season. I, I agree with you. Depth wise, um, they're going to be the the ones to beat this year. Uh, I think overall, and when you look at the form and formation, but um, it's interesting you pointed this out already, saying it's a lot more direct, isn't it? It's not. When you had Sancho, the game would always be put almost played wide. It seems like under Rose, it's the ball forward as quickly as possible to Royce and Haaland, and then directly to goal. I was just trying to think about what what what's changed with Royce, and I think there's I think it's tactics, but I think it's also his fitness. Um, like for example, his first goal uh, yesterday on uh, well, yeah, yesterday as a recording, a left-footed shot across the face of goal. I, I honestly don't think Roy scores that goal last season because if you actually if you, if you look at his XG from last season and the goals he scored, more often than not he actually missed chances that he should have been scoring. Um, and I, so there's all so there's and I, and I think that comes down to just you know um, fatigue, tiredness. When a player's feeling peak fitness, their heads they got their head straight on. They, they, a striker scores those goals when they're when they're tired, when they're feeling a little unfit. They lose. They don't score those goals. That's maybe I'm oversimplifying it, but that's how I tend to view it. And, and I think this season, Royce, as you said, is in full fitness. He's at the top of his game. Haaland lays a ball off to him, and he's more than happy to fire that in with his weaker foot. Um, I think also tactically, he's been pushed further up the pitch, so he's now almost playing off Haaland. And what Royce does so well is that he's just so good at these little flicks. They kind of keep a counter attack going, and he almost plays like a kind of like fulcrum or almost like a, uh, you know, I, I don't even know a hinge or something just in front of uh, Haaland. So guys like uh, Reyna or Hazard or Bellingham, who was I thought immense in this game, just dominating the middle of the pitch. Um, they could just play off him so well, and it and it just works so well. And you know, obviously him and Haaland have this excellent chemistry together now. Um, and, it, it, and it is far more direct because last season the, 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 the emphasis was to get it out to Sancho and then hope that he did something with it or, or, or he found Haaland in the box. Now they completely bypassed that uh, and I think that's a really smart move because everyone thought Gio Reyna is going to be the guy who's, been, who's going to be pushed out to the wing. He's taken Sancho's number and this season the expectation is going to be on him to work the magic on the wing like Sancho did. But instead he's now part of this kind of gang of attack midfielders and now play off Haaland and I think it worked really well we saw it in DFB Pokal first round it worked well Haaland scored a hat-trick in that game and then in this match not only is he scoring goals but he's setting up players so so well um, and yeah it just seems to work really well and you, you must think ahead of the Super Cup game that um, Bayern are going to be absolutely terrified by how to deal with not just Haaland but Royce, Reyna, Bellingham etc. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that game. Uh, I know it's it's a Mickey Mouse Cup. It doesn't matter. But I think it will set the scene for the rest of the season. Final thought on that game for me. I, I thought it was interesting how the camera right away switched to Aiden Tersic, who, is, who may or may not be Marco Rose's boss um, this year. Um, that's going to be an interesting dynamic and I think an interesting one to watch. But like, yeah, when, when the final result came in, uh, the camera right away went on his face and him laughing and like, he's obviously very much involved in what's happening at Dortmund so that could be good news but it's going to be an interesting power dynamic but yeah let's move on to the other title favorite it's the uh, outswinger and the header was on target from Stefan Bell and it's been put into the back of the net by the skipper Musa Niakate gives Mike's lift off How this for an early scoreline. Mike Swan, Leipzig nil. Before we talk about Leipzig, 
very sad news and Sunday news, Sunday morning news, Sunday, wherever you are, midday news, Gerd Müller passing away. Um, probably the greatest striker that has ever lived. Um, he's been very sick for a few years now. He's age 75. So our condolences to family, um, to Bayern Munich, where, where he was a legend. Um, yeah, very sad news to kick off a Sunday. But um, on the field, Leipzig, Stefan, um, I think we all had a ton of expectations in Jesse Marsh. We had a ton of expectations in in this team and the way they were going to play and the way they're going to play direct football, fast football, attacking football, high-pressing football. And we saw all of that on Sunday, but we saw it from another former Red Bull coach in Bo Svensson's mindset, didn't we? You know what? Again, I'm going to big myself up here because uh, when I did my predictions, I picked Mainz for fifth place, maybe eighth place, I think. Maybe fifth's a better high. Uh, because I am a card-carrying member of the Bo Svensson fan club. Uh, I thought he was possibly the best manager or head coach in the Bundesliga last second half of last season. Uh, and I fully expected him to continue working miracles at Mainz this season. And that's exactly what they've done. Uh, you know, I think there's so much spe- expectation on RB Leipzig, not really because Marsh has come in, but because of the squad that they have. Uh, you know, I think it was Lothar Matthias made a really good point when he said that Bayern have the best first 11, but RB Leipzig have the best squad. And I think he was spot on with that analysis. Um, you know, Marsh has all the tools there to challenge for the title. There's just there's just simply no doubt about it. Uh, and it definitely seemed to me that he picked the wrong tools for the game. I mean, what do you think about that? Well, I think that um, some of the tools that he needs to succeed are just weren't available to him. I mean, Danny Olmo, right? And um, Soboslai to start. Uh, and it was an interesting tweet tweeted at me saying, uh, I just been confirmed that uh, Haidara is just not any good at football. I, I think that's a little harsh. I think he's just not well suited to play as a right winger in front of uh, Tyler Adams. So I think that's a little harsh. It's going to be interesting to see what's going to happen to Marcel Sabitzer, isn't it? And I think he's going, if he stays, he will be an important part of this team. I think that Soboslai, will, when Soboslai did come off, they were very dominant um we have to remember too that from the 30 minute mark on leipzig had 78 percent possession <laughs> so you know and they, they were really 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 pushing for that equalizer and they did come close and robin sentner probably the performance of the match day for me he was outstanding in goals some of the best goalkeeping i've ever seen quick off his line far out of his line dominated his box which which made it really difficult for Leipzig to play because essentially he acted almost like an extra defender didn't he because he was such he was so tuned into the game and when you have a goalkeeper who has that sort of performance that's very tricky because you know if the goalkeeper is in good form and can catch balls in, in the final third even outside of his box or and as he did you know get all the long balls that were coming into the box and um, really much breaking down attacking plays before they even happen. That makes it very hard. And especially if you are 1-0 down, I think that going down a goal this early um, was probably a difficult proposition for Leipzig, but I think also a, a little bit of a learning process for Jesse Marsh because this is not Austria, and I, I think he knows this better than anyone else. Like, Look, I, I've spoken to Jesse Marsh many times. He knows the challenges aware of him, so I don't want to even allude to the fact that he he may have been a little bit naive because he's not. He knows exactly what's what's going to happen here. But knowing and seeing are two very different things, isn't it? And Bo Svensson has worked with Jesse Marsh in Salzburg, and he knew exactly what he was going to do, and he did it. He like he said like we we have to the first thirty minutes we have to come out guns blazing. We have to we have to basically attack them with everything that we got because the side isn't a hundred percent in tune yet, and it worked. It worked. Um, so I think it's going to be interesting to see what Marsh is, what lessons a Marsh is going to take away from this. I think a lot of us had kind of high expectations for RB Leipzig. I saw some people suggesting they should be almost favourites for the title, to be honest. But uh, it'd be interesting to see what happens if Marsh does need a, a, a bedding in period. You know, if he has a very shaky start to the season, we'll very quickly realise really how much pressure there is actually on him at RB Leipzig. You know, there's pressure put on him by the media um, and there's pressure put on him by maybe Bundesliga fans who are expecting RB Leipzig to challenge. But 
whether there's actual pressure put on him by the club to put to, to mount a title challenge is something we'll probably find out about uh, in the coming weeks if he doesn't quickly turn us around into you know winning games because he, 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 even if there is, it's, it's, I mean, obviously in RB Lives, they, they're never going to have the same pressure as they do at Bayern or at Dortmund because at Bayern and Dortmund, there are ex-players in every TV studio, in every column, in the newspaper. Uh, and obviously these clubs have huge fan bases which just lose their minds when they lose matches. Uh, RB Leipzig obviously don't have that. But they do have a very, you know, a very strong sporting culture at the club. They have expectations uh, Julian Nagelsmann earned his reputation because he was supposed to be a coach who could challenge uh, so that's what Jesse Marsh has come in and is expected to kind of pick up and carry on so it'll be interesting to see if this is just a minor blip in the road and you know down the road we will start seeing Leipzig play Marsh tactics and football and things start to click into place but you know it, it's just I just think it's very interesting to see whether he gets the same ex- whether for example he'll feel the same Heat as Nagelsmann probably feels right now at Bayern, or whether he will be given the time to slowly but surely build his squad the way he wants to. I think final one for the show. I remember when I did the media roundtable with Jesse when when he was introduced at Leipzig uh, for the English media, and he talked about Druck, the German word Druck. Uh, you and I both speak German, Stefan. We know exactly what the word Druck in this context means. It means pressure, right? Pressure put on. On coaching staffers and players and, and German football, Druck um, is is something that Bayern exceed in. And uh, he was sort of wondering about that word and why everyone in German media always talked about Druck. And you're gonna, I think he's gonna find out. <laughs> I think this is this is what it means. It means the pressure to be in the Bundesliga. Uh, it's a top five league. You know, it is it is in many ways like the Premier League, and we everyone looks at Bayern and looks at how they always run away with it. But I think Bayern would probably run away with the title in most leagues in, in European football over the last nine years because they were very good. But anyone can beat anyone, and uh, that's what Druck is. Uh, that's what pressure is to be to go to light to Mainz and get a result, and it's not easy. But yeah, I I think Marsh will succeed in Leipzig. I, I I think he is the right coach for it, and then he he will just have to he would have to just learn quickly on the fly. And a match a title isn't decided on the first match day, even if today a lot of games felt like they were almost like cup finals uh, over the entire weekend. I think like no other season we've had before uh, in the Bundesliga or hadn't had in a long time. This is a season where a lot of it is on the line from the very start because Bayern are weaker. Um, a lot of the other teams are better through the board. We've seen that with the Stuttgart result. We've seen that with the Hoffenheim result. We've seen it with, with Leverkusen dropping points. We've seen it um, with Mainz beating Leipzig. We've seen it with what Dortmund have done to Frankfurt, who I actually thought weren't that bad. Um, so there's a lot of Druck in this league. And I think that's that's my, my final point for this show. Um, but Stefan, as always, pleasure to talk to you. Um, I'm looking forward to this season. I'm glad we're back. Uh, we will be doing this on a regular basis. A lot of people ask us if we're going to be back, and obviously we are. And we have lots of lots of things planned, um, lots of interesting interviews, um, lots of interesting guests coming on. And yeah, I'm looking forward to this season, Stefan. Uh, once again, thank you for being a part of the show today. It's always a pleasure, and I couldn't agree more. Uh, I think the season's going to be one of the best in quite some time. So hopefully I haven't jinxed it. And yeah, here's to plenty more exciting football. Absolutely. Well, guys, that's it. Until next week, auf Wiedersehen. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube